Welcome to Series 3 of the Evening Under Lamplight podcasts with your host, Robert Louis Abrahamson. Series 1 featured Dante's Inferno, Series 2, Shakespeare's final play, The Tempest. Now we move on to something less well-known, the fables and fairy tales of my namesake, Robert Louis Stevenson. Stevenson worked on these pieces throughout his writing career, which stretched from about 1874, when he was 23 years old, until his early death in 1894, when he had just turned 44. He had planned to publish these stories, but for various reasons never did so, perhaps mostly because his wife thought they would be so scandalous that they would ruin his reputation. He was one of the most popular writers in the world when he died, famous for Treasure Island, A Child's Garden of Verses, Kidnapped, and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, among other works. When he died in his home in Samoa, where he retreated in search of a suitable climate for his delicate health, when he died, his friend brought the manuscript of these fables back to England, where they were finally published. But only 20 of the 22 pieces were published. We don't know exactly why two of the fables, The Clockmaker and The Scientific Ape, were omitted, but it was probably because they were considered too outrageous for the general public. The fables satirizing religion and human failings were acceptable, but these two fables, undercutting the assurances of scientific experimentation, may have been too much. Well, we'll see more when we get to these fables. For what I propose to do in this third series is to take us through the 22 fables, some of them only a few lines long, others more like perverse fairy tales running to four or five pages. My plan is to read them here for you and then to offer a few thoughts about the fables. The rest is up to you, as I hope you carry the stories with you for a little while and let them help you see the world in new ways. Well, let's begin with a fable about reading, a good place to start our reading of these pieces. The Reader I never read such an impious book, said the reader, throwing it on the floor. You need not hurt me, said the book. You'll only get less for me second-hand, and, and I did not write myself. Well, that is true, said the reader. My, my quarrel is with your author. Ah, well, said the book, you need not buy his rant. Well, that's true, said the reader, but I thought him such a cheerful writer. Well, I find him so, said the book. You must be differently made from me, said the reader. Well, let me tell you a fable, said the book. There were two men wrecked upon a desert island. One of them made believe he was at home, and the other admitted, Oh, I know your kind of fable, said the reader. They both died. Well, and so they did, said the book. No doubt of that. And everybody else. Well, that's true, said the reader. Push it a little further for this once. And when they were all dead? Oh, they were in God's hands, same as before, said the book. Not much to boast of, by your account, said the reader. Well, who's impious now, said the book. And the reader put him on the fire. The coward crouches from the rod and loathes the iron face of God. <laughs> well, there we are. The reader is a little drama, not much more than a short dialogue between a reader and a book, 
what we might call a philosophical dialogue, since they're discussing abstract ideas about ethics, relationship, and even theology. There are only two bits of action, the reader throwing the book onto the floor and finally throwing it onto the fire. The fable opens with no introduction, just that exclamation of angry dismissal the reader feels towards the book he's just been reading. I never read such an impious book. <laughs> the speaker's use of the word impious suggests that this is a religious reader, someone we suspect who judges books by whether they agree with his religious views or not. Then we're surprised when the book starts to speak. We had thought we were just watching a man speaking to himself in anger, but we suddenly find ourselves in the unrealistic world of a book actually talking back to its reader. Whereas the reader seems a person who makes passionate moral judgments, we see that the book is calm and reasonable, assessing the situation not, not by theological principles, but by the practical question of how much money the reader might get when he sells the book to a second-hand bookseller. The book then raises a philosophical distinction between the writer of a book and the physical item containing the writer's thoughts. The book is not the same thing as the thoughts of the writer, but just the vehicle. The reader should focus his anger on the writer, not the object that just conveys the ideas. And the book makes another sensible comment. If the reader does not like the principles of this writer, then the reader need not buy this writer's books. The reader had apparently assumed that this book would be like the author's previous books. His desire for a cheerful book suggests that the reader was interested only in something that made him feel good. He wanted to remain secure in his own views of the world. He was not expecting to be challenged with any new ideas. As Stevenson once said, such a reader had better take to the daily papers. This kind of reader is not ready for anything more challenging. We do not know what the writer of this book was saying, and we cannot tell whether the writer was cheerful or not, but that's not the point. We see that the reader cannot accept that the book, who holds a different view, has any resemblance to himself. The book must be differently made. For this reader, there is only one right way to understand something. Anyone who disagrees must be either wrong or simply not a human being. And notice how, by this point in the fable, we've easily accepted the fact that a book has the human capabilities of speech and reason. And then Stevenson wittily gives us a fable within a fable. Stevenson never completes the fable, but gives us a hint about what happens. Two men lived on a desert island in two different ways. One, whom we might call a dreamer, pretended that he was in his hometown and was contented. The other, a realist, accepted the fact that he was lost on a desert island and was discontent because he was stranded away from home. Here were two people in the same circumstances, but interpreting these circumstances in two different ways. And yes, they both died, showing that they were both mortal human beings, despite their different interpretations, divided by their views when living, but united by both dying in the end. Their ultimate unity refutes the reader's view, which, as we have just seen, cannot accept that anyone who disagrees with him has the same human qualities.
Usually a fable like this will end with the startling final sentence, and they both died. But the reader suggests they carry the argument one step further for this once. Presumably the reader, with his right or wrong view of the world, expects that the next step in the fable would be that one man goes to heaven and the other to hell. The book answers that these two men, and by extension all of us, live under divine guidance, both in life and in death, no matter what our views. The reader's religious bigotry is now exposed, though it takes some thought for us to work this out. Why does he say that having both men in God's hands is not much to boast of? That is, not a situation we should be happy about. What sort of situation would the reader be happy about? Uh, presumably, this reader would like to see his sort of people safe and blessed in heaven, while everyone else is condemned to painful punishment in hell. This kind of bigot finds much of his pleasure in seeing the suffering of the people who disagree with him. Such a bigoted view is impious, not only because it says that there is no special happiness simply in being in God's hands, but also because it implicitly claims that the reader knows better than God what is best for mankind. The reader, however, cannot accept that he is impious, and so to avoid facing this accusation he gets rid of his opponent. It was a common practice in Victorian times, when fireplaces were kept burning throughout much of the year, to dispose of unwanted paper by placing it in the fire to burn to ashes. One account of the composition of Stevenson's Jiggle and Hyde, in fact, says that after his wife told him that an early draft of the story was no good, Stevenson, in anger, threw the draft into the fire. But there's also an echo here of the way both Catholics and Protestants used to kill heretics, people who disagreed with them, by burning them alive. So this reader's method of silencing his opponent has connections, only hinted, to historical practices of religious intolerance. Many of Stevenson's fables contain a moral at the end, following a tradition going back to Aesop's fables. But whereas Aesop's morals are clear statements clarifying the message of the fable, Stevenson's morals can be as difficult to interpret as the fable itself. The moral here is a short couplet. The coward crouches from the rod and loathes the iron face of God. The rod is a stick used to punish people who do wrong, as in the saying, spare the rod and spoil the child. In the fable, the book was a kind of rod, striking the reader with a different point of view so that the reader could learn a new lesson, that many different views of one subject can all be right in their own way. The reader, however, is a coward because he cannot face any view that might challenge his own views or point out a new way to look at the world. He loathes this kind of correction. God's face is iron, presumably, because that's the way someone like the reader would expect it to be, sternly judgmental. <laughs> but, but judgmental only, of course, in the way the reader wants it to be. Shall we have the fable again, now that we've discussed it? Here it is. The Reader I never read such an impious book, said the reader, throwing it on the floor. You need not hurt me, said the book. You'll only get less for me second-hand, and, and I did not write myself. Well, that's true, said the reader. My quarrel is with your author. 
Ah, well, said the book, you need not buy his rant. Well, that's true, said the reader, but I thought him such a cheerful writer. Well, I find him so, said the book. You must be differently made from me, said the reader. Let me tell you a fable, said the book. There were two men wrecked upon a desert island. One of them made believe he was at home, and the other admitted, Oh, I know your kind of fable, said the reader. They both died. Oh, and so they did, said the book, no doubt of that, and everybody else. Well, that's true, said the reader. Well, push it a little further for this once. And when they were all dead? Well, they were in God's hands, the same as before, said the book. Not much to boast of by your account, cried the reader. Who is impious now, said the book. And the reader put him on the fire. The coward crouches from the rod and loathes the iron face of God. The Reader a fable by Robert Louis Stevenson. See you next time with another fable from the collection.